Welcome to Friends in Fiction, five best-selling authors and the stories. Novelists Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, Patty Callahan Henry, and Mary Alice Monroe are five longtime friends with more than 80 published books to their credit. In 2020, they created Friends in Fiction to provide author interviews and fascinating insider talk about publishing and writing, and to highlight independent bookstores. These friends discuss the books they've written, the books they're reading now, and the art of storytelling. If you love books and you're curious about the writing world, you're in the right place. Hi, everyone. Welcome to our Sunday night Friends in Fiction bonus show on the craft of writing. We have so much to look forward to tonight. I am Patty Callahan. And I'm Mary Kay Andrews, and I'm sitting in Patty's lap. (laughs) (laughs) Not there yet. I'm Kristen Harmel, and I'm not sitting in anybody's lap. (laughs) (laughs) And this is Brendan Fiction, New York Times bestselling authors, endless stories to support indie bookstores. Tonight, you are in for such a treat. You'll meet John Truby, teacher extraordinaire and author of the acclaimed Anatomy of Story, and Leslie Lear, his wife, the author of A Boob's Life. I just love that title. (laughs) And an author consultant. We'll be talking about story structure, about writing personal stories, and about how they work together. I'm so interested in this as husband and wife alongside each other. We are so lucky to have two of the premier writing coaches in the country, along with practical proof of their prowess as Leslie's new book, A Boob's Life, takes the world by storm. This episode will be one long, glorious writing tip. (laughs) I want to say practical prowess primer again. Nope. (laughs) <laughs> and as always, in our continuing support of indie bookstores, tonight our bookstore of the week is Copperfish Books, a great little indie store in Punta Gorda, Florida. That's a great friend of the show and a huge supporter of the Fab Five. Get 10% off with code FF10. And we also want to say thank you so much to our August partner, Caroline's Cakes, one of our favorites. This yeah. month, we are taking a bite out of summer with Caroline's. All month long, the Fab Five of Friends of Fiction will be telling you about our beach bag must-haves, our favorite reads of the summer, our ideal Labor Day weekend, and of course, our favorite Caroline's Cakes flavors on our individual Facebook and Instagram pages. And we're going to offer you the chance to win the ultimate Labor Day weekend beach bag brimming with swag from Friends in Fiction and Caroline's. Information is under announcements on our Facebook page. So now I want to tell you about our incredible guests on our Sunday bonus writer craft episode. First, ladies first, Leslie Lear is a writer and author consultant who explores the duality of today's women to navigate a new path between sexy and sacred. Salma Hayek is developing Leslie's critically acclaimed new memoir, A Boob's Life, and I'm very jealous, into a comedy series for HBO Max. She's a prize-winning writer, and her books include What a Mother Knows, a Target-recommended read, Wife Goes On, 
great title, and 66 laps, which was winner of the Pirates Alley Faulkner Prize. Her nonfiction books include Welcome to Club Mom, Club Grandma, both excerpted <laughs> on FisherPrice.com. And she's also been featured on Oprah. Wow. wow. Leslie's personal essays have appeared in the New York Times Modern Love column, narrated by, you know, Katie Couric on as well as many, many other places. She's worked on movies and is a novel consultant for Truby Writers Studio. She also taught for 10 years in the writers program at UCLA. Leslie has two daughters, two cats, one husband, John Truby, as, <laughs> as close to the beach as possible in Southern California. Oh, what a life. John Truby is Hollywood's premier screenwriting instructor and story consultant. Over the last 25 years, more than 50,000 people have attended his sold out seminars around the world. Wow. Called the best script doctor in the movie industry, Truby serves as a story consultant for major studios and production companies worldwide and has been a script doctor on more than, wait for this, more than 1,800 movies, sitcoms, and television dramas. Whoa. Yeah. Truby's former students' work have earned more than $15 billion at the box office. Wow. His class is also regularly attended by top fiction writers and novelists. In addition to his sold-out seminars, John Truby remains on the cutting edge of technology, having created and developed Truby Blockbuster, wow. the best-selling software designed to intuitively help writers learn and understand the art of developing their story ideas into professionally structured novels and scripts. Wow. Wow, I mean, I'm sold. Where do I sign? I know, I know. I know. We did sign up. We somehow talked him into coming on. Yeah. So let's bring, bring him on. on Erica. <laughs> Hi, guys. Hi, guys. Wow. <laughs> we are so happy you are here. I can't tell you how much both of you, in different ways, have meant to me through the years. So we'll get into that later, but there is so much to talk about. Kristen, you want to take it away? Yes. So John, let's start with you. Can we have an overview of your book, Anatomy of Story? So I know it's about in-depth story structure, um, and I would love to start with why you don't apply the three-act structure we've all been drilled to incorporate. And instead, you teach the seven steps, which I think um, I, my, my copy is not as dog-eared as Patty's, but I think <laughs> our uh, weakness and need, um, desire, opponent, Plan, uh, plan, battle, self-revelation, and new, equilibri new equilibrium. Did I get that right, John? She no, can't even no. say it. I can't even say it. Like, so starstruck, I know. So I really <laughs> don't have the time to go into detail for all seven. Plus, we actually haven't paid for your writer's workshop here. <laughs> but can you talk a little bit about why those things are important and why that's the structure you like to follow? Well, I, I began teaching story structure because... I found that three-act structure, which is what is normally taught, especially to screenwriters, did not work at the professional level. Ah. It, was, it was really designed to help people start writing their first script, which is a very intimidating thought when you're first starting off. And so you think, well, I got to climb this mountain in one step. And along comes three-act structure that says, no, it's not that hard. All you, all you have to know is that there are three acts with two to three major plot points. And so that gave writers the confidence to really start into their first script. 
The problem is that it's such a simplistic way of structuring a story that you cannot get beyond the beginner stage of storytelling with that. And not to mention that it doesn't have anything to do with writing a novel, which is a much more complex plot than you find in a screenplay. And so what I was looking for was a way of structuring a story that was organic to the story, meaning that it had to do with what your unique main character is doing in that story. And that's what makes it a structure that not only works universally, but also makes your story unique. Yeah. And one of the big problems with React Structure is that it gives you cookie cutter stories. Yep. It gives you stories that everybody else is writing. And so there's no way you can set yourself apart from the crowd. So the seven steps that you just mentioned are the steps that the, the main character goes through in trying to reach a goal. And so it, it, it tracks both their external journey, which is going after the goal, as well as the internal journey where they overcome the basic weaknesses of their life and get to a self-revelation where they grow and become a better person. In a nutshell. No, I I love that. That was the workshop in a nutshell. That was the perfect nutshell. So, and that structure works equally for um, film or novels. Yes. And essays. Uh, Everything I've written, nonfiction and fiction, I totally use that. Yeah, it's because it's, and that's why the, the, the title of the book is The Anatomy of Story. It's not The Anatomy of Screenplay because Absolutely. these are, the, the book really collects a, a, a number, a slew of what I believe are professional techniques for writing a great story in any medium. Wow. So it's almost about internalizing those story beats and those things that you have to achieve and then applying them to whatever medium you're in. I, I love that. Exactly. It's brilliant. Yeah. Exactly. And, and I love one of the classes because I listen to your classes and the one I'm listening to right now is on myth. And I love that you can break those down and then apply them to love story, to mythology, to I'm a mythology geek. So it's, it's really fascinating. But Leslie, I want to talk about a boobs life, which has been optioned by Selma Hayek. And then we'll dive into story structure and your classes in a minute. But you and I both survived breast cancer. And I know I turned to you right when I was diagnosed because you were in the middle of it and you were very beautifully public about it. But at that time, we both said, we will never write about this. We will never write about this. And I kept my vow and you did not. I didn't mean to. I just got angry. I know. And thank God you didn't keep your vow because this book is about so much more than breast cancer. So I want you to tell everybody and tell us about the book. And then I want you to talk a little bit about how you used Truby structure in the book, because it is memoir. Yeah. It and is. history well, and antidote, and it's a mix of everything. It's a mix of, uh, yeah, non-narrative, you know, non-fiction narrative. And in fact, it's kind of a, a blend of that, the personal stuff written with narrative style is fiction, a lot of non-fiction. Anyway, um, I had originally written uh, the modern love column based on kind of our romance right before I got sick. And it was more about being sexy and then uh, realizing you're not that sexy when you're bald and stuff. 
So I thought I was done. You know, I got really lucky. It got published um, and I totally used the seven steps, but that was really my thing. I didn't keep a journal of being sick. I went public like to friends. I found people reaching out to me and that was very helpful, but yeah, I was not going to write about it. My code name was sick of pink. Yeah. Cancer chat rooms. We talked about that so much. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. It ruined that color for me for a really long time. And, um, so it just, it took, takes over your life, you know, it's a lifestyle. So I was done with it. And then years later, it took a really long time for my brain to come back after chemo. The analytics side, really sharp. I immediately got clients back. I could analyze stuff better than everything, but that creative wellspring, I was still on meds for five years and I don't know your experience, but it kind of messes with you. It does. Yeah. I couldn't like, I didn't have that normal thing anymore. So, and then one night, you know, a few years ago, I got out of the shower after this whole, my whole life. I, you know, after going through all of this stuff, I got out of the shower that night. It's exactly as the book starts. And that was a pretty like, opening chapter. Yeah. yeah. John and I were supposed to have this romantic evening. You know, we were, had only been married a couple of years and we had moved. I had survived and I was going to be okay. And I got out of the shower and my boobs were crooked and I was so mad, so mad. And he accused me of being obsessed. And I thought, I'm a woman. I'm not obsessed. I'm a feminist. You know, I, I, that can't be true. And then I realized my whole entire life had kind of been dictated by wanting breasts, wanting a bra, wanting bigger boobs, wanting mm-hmm. to hide them for work, wanting to, you know, I pushed them up to date. And then <laughs> I my mom talked me into getting a boob job. Then I got sick. And then my kids were had different reactions to their boobs. I had daughters and nieces. And I just thought, okay, day night was off. Um, because <laughs> you know, because of the crooked, yeah, I was he couldn't understand, and so he went right to sleep like guys do, you know. And we had just moved in, and I had all my boxes in the next room that was my office. And I started pulling out pictures and scrapbooks, my favorite ones were on top. And I had this picture of me and my mom and my little sister, all of us in red bikinis. And I immediately cracked up because we were dressed in little red strips, cutting. <laughs> having our nipples. And I remember how hard it was for my sister who was one and a half who could not keep the strip over her nipple. And it cracked me up. And I thought, wow, that's when it starts. And so just by looking through all my life and I realized that I could track my whole life this way. And then I started doing research, which was kind of an easy thing for my brain to do. And um, I found out that there was a reason my life tracked it because there was this particular obsession that I wasn't even aware of how much we reflected. And I thought, I have, this is my next book. This will be an easier thing than making something up. And so it was a real combination of adding that research and, and, you know, learning how this obsession started, but by using my life as an example. And I originally thought of it as a series of essays, kind of standalone. Yeah. And I definitely use the seven steps. It's just like all you guys know when you write a novel, every chapter has to have the rising action and the question and the partial answer. And then the next question, that's kind of the seven steps of every chapter. And Essays are, are the same way. And so I wrote, I started writing and I made a list of all the parts of my life affected by boobs. And, and there was a story to everyone. And so I just thought, okay, put these all together. And um, that's what I did. Hmm. Um, and the overall book had the seven steps. What was my weakness need? I really, it started with, was I going to fix my boobs again? That was the initial question. And then it became this like, bigger picture, you know, with women's quality and our bodies and all of that. Well, that picture was like the greatest thing I've ever seen of y'all in those little bikinis. I mean, that absolutely, I was like, this. I didn't even know that was a thing. I'd never seen yeah. that before. <laughs> 
It's so faded. I'm going to see if I can figure it out while you're talking. It's in the book, though. There's pictures in the book. Yeah, it's in the book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, John, in your book, you talk a lot about premise. In fact, there's a whole chapter devoted to it. So, could you define premise for us? And do you think it's important for a writer to know the premise at the very beginning? I just want to show our people. There it is. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Oh, wow. (laughs) That's me on the right. My nipples were covered. <laughs> it was like brushing your teeth, you know. I've right. never seen a bathing suit like that before or since. So no, it's so cute. That's hilarious. Um, okay, but um, okay, but John. So, how do we get from the premise to what you call the gold? That was a lot of questions. Do you want me to start? Over? Well, that, that's fine. It's just difficult to follow a picture of. These three girls. So I'm sorry. Sorry. I just um, wanted to show it. Sorry. Maybe you could bury your nipple. We'd feel more comfortable. <laughs> yeah, you're allowed to show yours. Yes. It's just not fair. Fair at all. Um, the, the, the premise I consider one of the most important steps in the entire process, mm. probably the most difficult step in the process, because you have the least amount of, to go on. And yet, Unless you explore that premise, you're probably going to write yourself into a trap. And so I always recommend take a great deal of time to explore the premise because nine out of 10 story ideas that you come up with are not going to be worth a book. And so you want to figure that out before you've written a book and discovered. So, but, but basically premise is your story idea stated in one sentence. And by forcing yourself to compress it down, to reduce it down to just this basic lean structure, you see what works and you can probably predict what are the structural problems you're going to have to solve to make it work. And so that's why it's so important to really spend time on it. And then what you do is you simply use various techniques once you have that one line sentence to keep expanding it out, first to the seven steps, then you move to, you know, a, a other steps, you know, certain genre elements and so on and so forth, as you slowly but surely make a longer and longer story. I think you just um, explained, you know, so many of us, I think all of us at one time or another have taught at a writer's workshop, and we've all dealt with um, writers who are very excited because they have an idea. And I, I'm going to have to remember that to tell folks an idea is not a premise. <laughs> yeah, well, it's not. I mean, and I think we kind of talked about that a little bit when we were all in Beaufort, and somebody was asking us because we had all sort of talked about an idea that we had kind of gotten from someone else that we knew, and someone was like, "Oh, so you're taking your idea and really, but an idea is not really a story. They're very different yeah. things. I mean, you know, that one little sentence." is very obviously so important, but you do have to figure out, is it, is it worth 400 pages and a year of your life important? <laughs> and unfortunately, one of the biggest mistakes that I find writers make before they've really got some experience is that they'll come up with an idea that they get very excited about and they immediately start writing the story. They immediately start writing the book. And what inevitably inevitably happens is because they haven't done the structural digging up front to find the gold of the idea, 
they write themselves into a structural dead end and they can't get out and they throw away the idea. They basically- Oh, that's never happened. Yesterday? Problems that writers have. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I remember, John, back in my newspaper days, I was a reporter for 14 years. And last 10, I was at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and they brought in, I was a feature writer, and they brought in a writing consultant. And I kept hiding from him until he finally cornered me and said, why are you avoiding me? And I said, well, <laughs> I, I'm afraid of you because I don't want you to critique my work. I'm worried that you will... I said, I've been riding a bike for 14 years. And if you make me look down at my feet as I pedal and figure out what I'm doing, I'll fall off the bike. And I would never learn how to ride a bike again. So that's a long way of saying that a lot of novelists like me are resistant to structure. And I know I've been resistant. Um, I, you know, talk to us about why you think, why you both, Leslie, you and John, why do you both think? Structure is so important, and how can it help me? (laughs) I I think that you have an innate sense of structure. You're obviously have been reading for a long time, and I think that is the most important tool. And um, the structure is something that you, you know, can. It's like analyzing a poem when you don't know how it works. But when someone's trying to build from the ground up, the structure is important. And in fact, in almost all my books. Um, I've changed the structure around. I've yeah. played with different structure and it's kind of like sometimes you're reinventing the wheel and you have to figure out how the structure is going to work. But with someone like like you ladies who are, you know, incredibly accomplished and maybe aren't conscious that you're using a structure, you are. It's just underneath and yeah. you're so practiced at it, you aren't defining the words. But I think for people who are learning and come at it in, in um, maybe a more anal way I want to say for some of us who are more methodical and afraid of throwing out 8 million pages. I mean, I, I do outlines and note cards and figure it out and then I change them around, but I have the comfort of knowing the important story elements are there. I'm going to get to the end. I know what I'm talking about. And if I change it, things around, which I do every day, it's because it'll work better for how that part of the story is working. But the structure is sound. It's like, you know, the building materials of a house. You can build all different designs. But, I, I mean, you you definitely have a structure in all your stories. You're just not looking at it that way without the, you know, the glasses that see the bones kind of thing. Yeah, well, that's I, a relief. I, that, that, <laughs> that, I mean, it's, 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 I think, the central question, and it's the, the question that writers, it's, it's usually posed as, Somebody says, "Are you a plotter or a pantser?" Yeah, mm-hmm. and and I consider that to be a false distinction oh. um, because there are elements of both approaches that are useful. The trick is combining them, mm-hmm. and so it's not. It, it doesn't have to be one or the other. Um, but the reason I say it's so important is because I find that the main difference between to top professional writers and virtually everyone else mm-hmm. is their ability to plot. Mm-hmm. Um, writers who've been writing for any amount of time know the importance of a strong main character. They're usually they're usually able to write good dialogue, but when it comes to plot, they think, well, I'll just figure that out as I go. Mm-hmm. And the reason that is so dangerous is because Plot is has more techniques that go into great plotting than all other story techniques combined. Yeah. That's that's how huge it is. And the biggest problem writers have is that they 
have the wrong understanding of what plot is. They think that plot is driven by the main character. Well, there's a truth to that. The, the main character should drive the plot. But what they don't realize is that plot is actually what the, what the author and the main opponent come up with to try to put the hero in the greatest possible difficulty. Huh? Oh, oh. Say that again. Say that again. Why okay. you say that again? I love that. Say it again. What plot really is, is what the author and the main opponent come up with to put the hero in the greatest possible difficulty. And the reason that's so difficult for writers to get is when they think in terms of plot is just the sequence of actions that the hero takes, they think, well, then the opposition is just the obstacles that the hero has to overcome. Well, that gives you, that gives you a, a, a story that is episodic where none of these obstacles are connected. The only way you can come up with a great plot if, is if you look at the big picture from the point of view of the opponent and understand what is the sequence of obstacles that the opponent is going to construct that will eventually defeat the hero. So it's only by looking at that big strategic picture that you come up with a a plot that not only puts the hero in the greatest amount of trouble, it also creates the greatest number of surprises for the reader. And that's where wow. we get great plot. That's awesome. I, I love that. that. I always think it's how the hero reacts to the trouble to get what she wants, which is right. another way. Of, it's all, it, you know, sometimes it's semantics. Yeah. Right. Wow. It's forward motion. Narrative drive is the, yeah, the, 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 the problem is that I always, I always tell writers is that even though you want the hero to drive the action, if you mm -hmm. try to plot the story that way, you're going to run into huge problems. It's mm -hmm. only by starting with the opponent's plan first huh. that you can figure out the ideal plot that the hero then has to uncover and solve. Does the, oh does the opponent have to be a person or can the opponent be... The force of working against them. Yeah. The, the opponent can be a force of nature, but if you have a story like that, you are really limiting what you can do with it. Yeah, but let's say there's a, a shipwreck. And <laughs> trying to find oh. out what's going on. Who would it's, write about that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if it's a real thing that happened. But then you right. got to know why she can't figure out what she wants to figure out. So it's all yeah. those things. But I definitely am, have, my heart is with the main character. And then it's like, yeah. what's stopping her? So you have to think about those things. But yeah, well, you know, the, the, you, know you, you can certainly start off with and have one of the main opponents be a force of nature. The problem with nature is it tends to repeat the same beat. Huh. You know, we have a hurricane and then we have an earthquake and then we have a snowstorm and so on. You know, yeah. these are all different forces of nature, but it's the same beat basically in yeah. the story. And the only way you really get complexity of plot and complexity of story that the reader will be maximally interested in is in the opposition between human beings. And most of you know this because you often, a lot of you have family members or <laughs> in, in a war who are stopping them or, you know, yeah. all kinds yeah. of other people who are different opponents. So it's not just like 
I don't right. think it's one person who's always the bad guy. It's like right. who's stopping the person from getting what they want. Yep, and that's that makes like, sense. It's yeah. a different way of looking. No, I mean, it's so, that's so, so true. Like, I'm just sitting here thinking about, I'm like, wait, nine books in, like, am I learning how to write a novel now? Because I'm not sure <laughs> I've been doing it right. You're doing it. Great. I mean, I'm doing it, but am I doing it correctly? <laughs> I don't know if this is correct. I always just feel like I can do my next one better and stronger and have yeah. even more surprise. More no, scary. I mean, I, this is so you great, know. but then that's so true. I mean, that really is like, that's what's driving the plot. It's not the main character. It's what the main character is up against. So that's, yeah. that's awesome. Um, okay. So John, you say to write something that will change your life, which I love that quote. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yes. And it's like reading that just makes you think like, yes, that's why we're here. Like at the end of the day, like our readers are great and all that's great. But we, I think we all kind of write because we're a little bit selfish, right? <laughs> like we're writing a story that, that we love that's going to change our life in some way. But what do you mean when you say that? Well, I think I think it's probably the most important piece of advice in the book yeah. because I think when a lot of people think about being a writer, they think, well, I'm, you know, fame and fortune. And, and obviously we all want to make good money from writing our stories. But the problem is that if that is your first and main motivation, you, I believe you tend to come up with story ideas that are a copy of some story you saw in the movies or in a book mm -hmm. or something six months before. Yeah. And so you try to put a little slight, you know, switch on it. Mm -hmm. Well, that might work, but in terms of the process of writing the book, what is that going to do for you? Yeah. To me, the process especially when you move up to the upper levels of being a professional writer, you've got to fall in love with the process itself. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, you're going to write a book, you know, you're going to be able to sell it and so on, but you also want a book that is so important to you that you can feel so passionate about mm -hmm. that you can get that passion into the book. And that passion then will also be read by the reader. And so you get this kind of this this double effect, this double payoff, which is you not only get that great book that the audience loves, the reader loves, but you also get a book that changes your life. And there is no, to me, there is no better benefit from the craft of writing. It is the greatest tool for creating a good life that there is. Yeah. And it is like falling in love. I feel like, like, I think it's the, I mean, it's the closest thing I've ever done to falling in love, you know, that's not falling in love. Right. Do you guys feel like that? I mean, when you're like, that's what I always, when people say, what's it like when you have a new story and you're like in it. And I feel like it's like falling in love. It's all you want to do. And it's all you think about. And it's just yeah. like that obsession. And you're pretending to pay attention to other things, but you're like, my mom will be like, hello. Can you yeah. be in the room with us? Where are nope. you? Nope, I'm with that guy. <laughs> so Leslie, for a second, I want to talk more than a second. I want to talk about your modern love column, um, how I got here and falling in love with John and saying you'd never marry, but then you did marry again, but then you did. And now y'all are teaching and working together. So Leslie, how's that going? I totally recommend it. <laughs> it's so much fun. It's like, you know, we don't actually work together. We never work on the same projects, but he yeah. reads my stuff. I read his stuff. We have very different skills and 
You know, I, I want his stamp of approval before he read every chapter and would say he would make things in my book, like the history stuff. He would like, I'm embarrassed to kind of give my opinion sometimes. And he'd say, no, I, I think you're really saying this. And like, you're right. And that sounds so much smarter than how I said it. Yeah. He's working on this genius book right now. And I have to go through every chapter. And first, it makes me really proud that I'm married to this genius. And he's really funny. And no one's going to get the jokes maybe about me. But then I know I can compress it so that a regular person can understand it and help organize it in ways that he's not seeing. So it's like we can be editors for each other and it reinforces the value of our work. It's also really fun to say, hey, I'm, you know, shouting in the other room. Do you uh, how do you spell this? Or what do you think if I let this last night? I was like, what do you think if this guy comes down on Christmas morning and does this as opposed to this? And he's like, no, no, I think that was the first. And I'm like. I just wasted a half hour doing it the other way, you know, in this book that I've completed. And then he'll get mad at me last night, got mad at me because I hadn't fed the cats and it was late for their dinner because I was so involved in my story. I'm like, okay, okay. But he's the only person who will get that, you know, because we're things we love. So it's a wonderful thing. And if you can be with somebody who does the same thing with you as you do, it's, it's a gift because they understand the obsession as you know, as Christy was saying, people don't get that you're not really there all the time when you're yeah. in a team with a lot of people. Yeah. Okay. So now, John and Leslie, you both say that a character must have a strong arc and a moral dilemma. 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 Dilemma is, diff is a different thing. It's a different word. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me more, because I know that. Um, when I've when I've taught writing, uh, explaining um, a strong story arc is not the easiest task to take on with with um, even with experienced writers who don't think in terms of that. You want me to start? You uh, yeah, ahead? you can start, and I'll jump in. Okay. Um, character arc is one of the most, if not the most difficult of all concepts for writers. I agree. It, it's hugely difficult to, to understand, but when you do get it, it makes a massive difference in the quality of your story. And in order to get it, part of the problem that writers have is they think that character change happens in the last scene. It happens right at the end of the book and so on. And somehow the character just changes. It's like a light switch that you flip. And they don't realize it's not, it doesn't happen at the end although it happens to the reader at the end, where it really happens is at the beginning. It's where you set up. And this is the part that writers don't get. They don't understand how to set up the character change. Except for you guys. Yeah. You're professionals. Yeah. You, you've known how to do all this forever. But don't take it personally. But for those who oh, we're not, we're gobbling it up. We're like taking I'm I'm taking notes over here. I, I have, have no pride. <laughs> one of the one of the reasons that the seven steps is so powerful is that the first step, the weakness need, is the setup for character change. And the sixth step, self-revelation is where it happens. And for me, the most the situations that I had dealing with other writers is that if the if your protagonist, the hero, knows what's really wrong, story's over. So yeah. they have to yeah. like be going around solving the story in ways that are different and bigger and stakes higher, yeah. as you all know, until the end. And then they figure out what really the problem is. 
and then you can they can make that that critical decision to change. So it's really tricky to keep building on it without revealing that. And one way that I can explain to people easily is that, you know, your character is going to do really stupid things. And as mm-hmm. terms of a moral dilemma, do things that maybe aren't right to solve what they think their their goal is. But ultimately, they're trying to, to fulfill this personal issue they have and, and change. But they don't know about necessarily. But they don't know about, right. And so they're going to do things badly and hurt other people. Yeah. And not, you know, and until they figure it out, they will be better people and figure out how to be happier. And whether it's at a better place or giving up on the goal or not getting the goal, but certainly it's, um, they're going to not be perfect. I always find if the character's me, I'm happy to make myself be the bad person. So I have no trouble. It's like, I think it's like female guilt thing anyway. We're always, it's my fault. I'm sorry. But um, if you kind of look at your character that way of like, they're going to do something, but they're going to mess up to get it done because they don't really get what they need. That's one way I can explain to people. And it's just really, you, you all know, are familiar with that rising character. There are some stoic characters, as we know, the superhero franchises, these people stay the same. And yet the most popular movies, and I'm sure John has a big opinion about this, are the ones where we know it used to be just Superman who had Clark Kent. But now we have all these backstories of the superheroes who are troubled, you know, or and make mistakes and hurt people. And, you know, the whole dilemma in the Batman thing of who's going to die, who's not going to die. So the more troubled and darkness and moral issues a character has, the more interesting it is, the bigger that arc's going to be, the more exciting the story, the higher the stakes. So even when you're talking about, you know, women in relationship issues and, and nice summer novels, there's going to be something they need. And we know what it is, but the reader has okay. to kind of go on the journey with the the, the character to, to find it out. I, I think I think one of the most important distinctions in setting up the weakness need at the beginning, which sets up the character change, is a distinction that I make, which is between a psychological weakness and a moral weakness. Mm. Most writers give their character strictly a psychological weakness, which is a weakness that affects them, but no one else. In order to have a really big character change, the character has to have not only a psychological flaw, they have to have a moral flaw, which means that at the beginning of the story, the reader has to see this character hurt someone else at the beginning of the story. And it doesn't even have to be like a big thing or they're yeah. conscious of. It could be just a lie or bad behavior but that it, they're not taken. But know. it indicates a deeper moral flaw, which is simply something they're not aware of. It's a selfishness that they have that they're not aware of. And again, they and it's hurting someone else. Exactly. Yeah. And we have to see that in an action. We can't just say they have a moral flaw. You have to see it played out. But if you can give your character both a psychological and moral flaw at the beginning, and then as Leslie was just saying, over the course of the story, they can they, they make moral mistakes in trying to reach the goal, then the, the payoff at the end, when you get a character change, is going to have double power because they're not only going to fix their psychological flaw, they're going to see how they've been wrong morally in the story up until that point. That is a dynamite, powerful ending. Oh, I love that. Chill so, time, right? Yeah, yeah. Gosh, it, it's funny because I feel like so much of this is stuff we do by instinct, but to put yeah, um, exactly. put words to it, I think is really powerful and helps us to do it better. Um, yeah. Leslie, you have not only used this 
structuralist approach to write your novels. But of course, you also consult on the process. Um, before you met John, were you as much of a structuralist as you are now? Or has that kind of evolved uh, as the two of you have been together? Um, I went to film school and I mean, I was always writing. I did a lot of essays and stuff. Um, and then uh, I studied, I, you know, I was in production, but I actually took his class right out of film school and yeah. um, was writing in between projects. I was in production, but I always was like, oh, I could write better than that. And that movie is not good. And I could do something better and I don't care about it. So I was writing in between. And then when I, um, you know, was home and with a child and thought, okay, I got to make this work or else I have to go back to work. And I'm not sure how that's going to work. Um, I just got more serious about it. But I had had a friend who said, you got to take this class by this new guy, you know. And so I took this class. Wow. And I honestly have a notebook of, like, coffee-spilled notes from that class I took in the late 80s of his. Oh, every time I used and, – and every single thing I wrote – and my first couple of books were nonfiction, my essays. I still use the theory. I, mm -hmm. you know, my novel that won a prize, all that kind of stuff. And then when I started, so I was using his structure and actually I was teaching it also. And so when I was, like, I was always like, I was teaching the, the steps and it's actually 22 big steps. And then the seven ones are the ones I'm most concerned of as an, as a novelist and in my essays and things. And so I always was, here's how you're, here's a good way to do it. Cause it worked for me when I was just write and write and write, I was throwing out so many pages. I still throw out pages, but at least I know. You know, mm -hmm. what I'm, where I'm trying to get and, and yeah. trying to hit all the beats. And my stories now, my comp my structure gets a little too complicated. I'd like to simplify my next book, although that's hard to do because it's so fun to play with it. It's like a puzzle. Yeah. So yeah. I always was like it and was doing structure and always his because the stuff I learned in screen in film school at USC and I want to end me while I was there was. The wow. Reaction. But it was always like girl stuff and. That muddy middle is really hard. Exactly. We were just talking about the muddy middle today. Yeah. The squishy middle. I read about pigs in the muddy middle, you know. Mm -hmm. um, getting through that and making that the most exciting part. It's easy to write the first chapter and the last chapter. They're the most fun. They're the ones we work the most on because they have to be sharpest. You have to read her. But to get through that middle and make the story exciting for everyone, yeah. including you, and not get bored yeah. of the story, it works. Mm -hmm. So I always, yeah. even when I was at UCLA, long before we... I mean, we've been married, uh, I guess, almost 11 years now. Okay. But um, I was married 20 years before that. We actually met when I was engaged, my first husband. <laughs> and oh my uh, together after that. That uh, I mean, anyway, it wasn't. Wow. But um, so, yeah, no, I've always, I've always been like this. I think there's a, a security in knowing what I have to do later. And then I get to play in between. Yep. I love that. Y'all, your wisdom, both of you, is incredible i know we could talk for hours and i have i want to know what you're writing right now john because if it is another writing book i need an early copy to critique <laughs> <laughs> i, I want to see those early pages but i feel like we could talk and There's talk a lot of the page a lot of pages <laughs> I, I'm, I'm up for it and you both have affected my life so much leslie by talking to me during breast cancer and john my dog-eared copy of Anatomy of Story has changed the way I write through the years and how I purposefully drill down. These ladies hear me talk all the time. You have to know what your character wants, why they want it, what they <laughs> don't know they want. So both of you, thank you so much. But don't leave. We have one more really important question for you. Okay. 
But first, a few quick reminders for our book loving community. Don't forget to check out our Friends and Fiction podcasts. Not only are the shows like this one on the podcast, but we have an every Friday Writer's Block podcast with Ron Block. And this past week, we have an episode on diverse voices. And Ron was a co-host to talk to Monica West about revival season and Wanda Morris to talk about all her little secrets. And this coming Friday, me and Christy and Ron talked to Allison Larkin about her no new novel and Tracy Lang about her debut, We Are the Brennans. Yes. And in case you have not heard, Patty, Mary Kay, and I all have winter books coming out. We've barely mentioned it. It's just for you. Do you? Do you? Yeah. I mean, I know. It's surprising. We do. Flash, we do. <laughs> Yeah. But if you are interested in getting um, signed first editions of all of those books um, as soon as they come out, plus special friends and fiction swag, plus a private Q&A video with the three of us that you won't find anywhere else, check out our winter subscription box with Nantucket Book Partners. And of course, if you are not hanging out with us yet in the Friends and Fiction Official Book Club, you are missing out. It's a separate page run by our friends, Brenda Gardner and Lisa Harrison, and we hope you'll come over and join the fun over there. Next week, uh, I know you can't wait. Um, I'm going to host, <laughs> back by popular demand, the <laughs> Darling Demented Karen Slaughter. <laughs> Darling Demented. Yes, I'm, I'm anticipating another costume drama. And uh, along with that, another reason why you won't want to miss next week is Patty's going to share the exclusive first look at her Once Upon a Wardrobe trailer. And so, of course, this is an episode... You do not want to miss. I am scouring my costume closet even as we speak. I might have to come up with an excuse to miss that one. I don't know. No, I'm, no, still, no, 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 I'm, no. I'm still traumatized from last year. Do not be scared. <laughs> no, that was amazing. She was great last year. She's going to be was. great again. Yeah. So Leslie and John, before we go, for both of you, we all want to know so we can avoid it. What is the biggest mistake you see writers make? <sighs> My uh, two. Okay. One Great. is I am shocked at how many writers don't read books. <gasps> Very good point. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. Everybody Whoa. should right. be following you all on Instagram. Yep. And and if you can't buy the books, get them from the library. That's still yep. buying the books. You have to read to be a good writer. Yep. The other thing for me is that I had someone call me last week who, um, potential client who, had nothing to do with the story that he wanted to write that he thought it would sell. Uh, and that's just the kiss of death, as, as John said. So those are my two things. Okay. Write something you love to write that you are passionate about writing and read other books. And I really think that all books can inspire you. Read in everything you can. You'll see what you want to do, what you don't want to do, what's done well, what isn't done well. But it's really important to read. And then also you'll get those natural signposts, as, as many of you have, without actually knowing what you're doing. And then you can always hone them later. But it's really yeah. important to read. So. Great advice. Um, I, I think the biggest mistake that that I see, I mean, that, that really the, one of them is that one that I mentioned earlier, which is to come up with a, an, an idea that they're very excited about and immediately start writing pages without figuring out the seven major structure steps, because without that, the, the story is going to fall apart. But as I've, as I've worked with writers over the years, 
it has gotten more into this area of plot that mm. uh, to me, that is the area where the, the biggest distinction between the pros and everybody else. And they have to learn the key techniques of how plot really works. And if they don't, they're going up against a wall that is really hard to break through. So interesting. Yep. Wow. Well, we've given us a lot to think about. I know this is an episode that I'm going to be rewatching. Um, but before we leave, we just want to say thank you again to Caroline's Cakes um, for helping us take a bite out of summer. Don't forget to enter our big giveaway that you can find um, on our Facebook page under announcements. And John and Leslie, thank you so much for sharing so much about your inspiration, your process, your life, your relationship. I feel like I'm about to take apart my entire work in yes. progress. Same. <laughs> we were sort of doing today anyway. Yeah. And just oh. ask some of these really important questions about, especially the opponent and what they're doing. So it's not just internal from the character. Yeah. But so, and to all of you out there, thank you for joining us. We encourage you to grab the anatomy of story and a boobs life from Copper. Love your boobs. That's my message. Yeah. <laughs> love your boobs. So important. Mm-hmm. How America's obsession obsession shaped me and you. Yeah. So I so love true. That. Thank so, you so much. We thank love you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Great. Thank you. This was so fun. Thank, thank you. you. And to all of you out there, you are such an amazing book loving community. And we thank you for joining us on our Sunday night bonus on the writing craft. Good night, y'all. Good night. Thank you for tuning in. Join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where our live show airs every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. And please, subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram. We're so glad you're here. Produced by Autovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.